Eve. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, as we just heard, Spirit, move in us, lead us. Spirit of gentleness, Spirit of truth, Spirit of love, bring us closer to you, not for our sake, but so that we could be transformed and we could move in this world, move throughout this kingdom, move throughout the places that you have placed us and that we could represent you and your great news, your goodness, your love. Speak to us, Lord, and may your Holy Spirit give us the words to understand. And God, guide us now in your truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to ask you, who are the teachers that made an impact in your life growing up? Your Sunday school teachers, your, te your mentors, your middle school coaches. Who are the people that stick out to you in your mind? Your grade school, your favorite teachers in elementary, middle school, and high school. Who are the teachers that stick out to your mind? And I, I promise I have a good, confident feeling you didn't pick teachers who simply knew a lot. I'm pretty certain you didn't pick teachers who simply had, a, had just a lot of popularity. I bet you you picked those teachers and, and mentors because there was a connection made and something authentic about them reached out and grabbed you. You know, in youth ministry, I learned, I learned a hard lesson. When I first went to seminary and the church that first called me, they were very brave. They were like, start preaching. And I had no idea what to preach and, you know, seminary student. And I read up a lot of books and theology and I was like, I'm gonna bring, bring it. I'm gonna bring the word and I'm gonna make these sixth graders go, ooh, God is great. And I prepared like eight hours worth of sermon and I said, I'm gonna bring it. It took me one week to realize that's not how you do it. <laughs> the kids were just looking at me like, what are you? And it took me about a full year to realize something, the secret, and you know this, don't you? That the children didn't know, need to know, children and youth group kids and college students didn't need to know how much I knew. They really wanted to know, first of all, are you real? Do you really care about me? And do you really believe in this God? And Teddy Roosevelt um, once said, nobody cares how much you know unless they know that you care. Nobody cares how much you know unless they know how much you care. And in John 13, 34, Jesus says something very similar, doesn't he? He doesn't tell his disciples, go out there and start lecturing. He doesn't say, go out there and tell all the people that they're evil and wrong. He tells them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey every command. And then he leaves his disciples, the church, with this incredible message that John read. John 13, 34, a new command I give you. And he doesn't say, you know, like, he doesn't tell you, go to church. <laughs> you know, he doesn't tell you, try to live an upright life. He just simply says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He's saying, verse 35, by this, by what? By your love for one another, all the world, all men will know that you 
are my disciples. In other words, it's not the choir robe, it's not a cross necklace, it's not carrying a Bible, it's not having a fish sticker on your bumper sticker, it's not where you go on Sunday morning that tells the world, I'm a Christian. What is he asking you to show the world that you are my disciples? By your love. By your love. And you know, um, there's this, uh, I want to show you some funny things, but uh, not just a little bit, just to prepare you. On the website, um, I look at, like, you know, I just like humor, so I get those jokes once in a while. Some of you email me tons of jokes about pastors, and I do appreciate that. Uh, and there's this one particular category of funny humor. It says, it's called Seems Legit. And it's just sarcastic pictures of things that just are far from being authentic, but it's so ridiculously inauthentic that it's funny. So, for example, here's one. And that's an Audi emblem on a Honda Accord. And it's just ridiculously, you know, obviously not an Audi. And then um, this is on the website under the category. Seems legit. It's a sarcastic saying, yeah, that's not authentic. <laughs> look, look at the next one. That's a Walmart. <laughs> Seems legit. People look at that and you say, hey, let's go to Walmart. And you're like, that sign looks like Walmart. It sells clothes, but I have a hunch. It may not be Walmart. Seems legit. I think that's all I have. Is there another one? No. Okay. And I wonder, just, just, just to be, let's, let's, let's be vulnerable as a church for a little bit. I wonder if the world looks at the church and they also look at us. People who claim to know God's love, redeemed by Christ, people who love the world to serve them, and they look at the church, and they see churches fighting, splitting. Girls who, one testimony of a 16-year-old girl, she got pregnant, and she said, the last place I want to go is the church, because I don't want to be judged. People who have alcoholic problems, last place I want to go is the church. They look at the church, and I wonder if, the, from the world's point of view, they look at the church who says, oh, we love God, we want to be worshipers of God, we want to show the world God's love, and I wonder if they would take a picture of us and put those two words, seems legit, when all they see sometimes is just the Christians being the very people that bite one another, devour one another, and fight about color of carpets, not in our church, but churches have split over colors of carpets. And they look at that and they say, I want to know God, but not from you. Seems legit. Jesus says what? It's so simple. A new command I give you. Love one another. And then he has these five words. And I wish, he, I wish we could delete the Bible. You know, these some words. And he has these five words. As I have loved you. You know, I was like, you know, the first part was pretty good. I was like, I could love. I love my wife. I love my kids. I could love. And then Jesus says, as I have loved you. And then you realize, oh, man, you just, Jesus, you just said it, like, seriously high. Because how did Jesus love? You know, Jesus says something in Matthew. He goes, love your enemies. He says, even tax collectors love one another. What credit is it to you that you love your friends? 
You know, you go to church, you see your friend, you say, hey, we show a lot of love. That's good. But Jesus is saying, love as I have loved you. Can you love those people in your life that you just don't like? That's loving as Jesus loved. And, you know, so that's a big call to the church. And the mark of a church is this. It's not the cross. It's not the stained glass window. It's not the preacher talking. It's not anything else. It's this for church. Church is a people, not a building. Amen? The mark of the church, the people is, do we walk in love? Do they look at us and say, that's a loving person? So, to get a glimpse of what, how Jesus loved, we, we see in Luke chapter 19, and this is why we picked this, Luke chapter 19, we see one glimpse of how he loved. He didn't love those people who were easy to love. You know, VBS is coming. I got to tell you, sometimes when VBS kids come, there are some kids you just automatically love. Kids with big smiles, you're like, oh, and then kids are like, <laughs> and you're like, Kids that are like, sit down, and they're like, all right, stand up. And you realize, boy, there are some people that are easier to love, some people that are not, and some kids that will kick you in the shin and say, I hate you, and then like, okay. But that's the joy of VBS. And, I, and that's an exaggeration because in real life, it's a lot harder, isn't it? There are some people, it's just hard to love as Jesus loved. And Jesus is saying, this is how the world will see you and know you are my disciples by how you love. So he shows us many different ways throughout the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is why two weeks ago we read that quote that atheists even recognize the church no longer, at least from their eyes, you know, just looks like Jesus. And I wonder if they have a point. How did Jesus love? Luke 19, here's a guy named Zacchaeus. And Jesus goes out into the countryside, and then he's preaching, he's teaching. He goes into Jericho, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. What do we find out right away? He was not only a tax collector who represented being a traitor by working for the Romans to collect money from his own people. He was a chief tax collector, and what was the second part? And was wealthy. I mean, he was good at it. You know what chief tax collectors did? They were agents for the Roman Empire over the Jewish people, and they went up to people like Anne Hampton and said, Anne, you owe a couple thousand dollars in taxes, $5,000. And Anne's like, okay, I've been saving up. I want to pay my share. And, and then the chief tax collector says, ah, ah, ah. I feel like getting about 8,000 today, Anne. But it's only five. Well, Anne, there's a new camel I need to buy. It's a turbocharged 2000 edition. <laughs> and I want you to know it's not for the government, it's for me. And Anne's like, are you crazy? And then the chief tax collector goes, and Roman soldiers come in and say, is there a problem here? And then Anne says, no. Here's $8,000. Now, I'm one of her own fellow people, fellow Jew, and this is what chief tax collectors did for a living. They were so despised, they were not even lumped into category of sinners at times. There was prostitute sinners, and then there was tax collectors. 
They were even hated worse than Romans, Roman soldiers. So this Zacchaeus guy takes notice, and he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. If this wasn't in Israel, I would have said he must have been Korean. But he was short, and he wanted to see Jesus, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. There's something inside Zacchaeus that made him hunger to know Jesus. You know what this shows me, folks? This guy has money. He has power. And guess what? He was still empty. He was still not satisfied. Not hard to be in that situation when everybody around you hates your guts. And he recognized that. I do not like my life. Scholars are pointing out Zacchaeus wanted to be, to get it out. He wanted to get out of this lifestyle. So he sees Jesus, and we don't know why he particularly takes an interest in Jesus, but chapter 18 of Luke gives me a little clue. What does Jesus give parables about? Look at one parable he gave. He shows the tax collector as the protagonist. One of the parables he says, you know this one, there's two people that go into a temple to pray, a tax collector and a Pharisee. The tax collector is way in the back, and the Pharisee's praying, standing up, going, God, I am so good. Thank you for making me great. I give offering, and I am a good man. You're proud of me. I know that. Tax collector doesn't even look up, weeps on the ground, and he says, Lord, he says what? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says in the parable, I tell you, one person was justified when they left that temple. And I wonder if Zacchaeus hears these stories and he says, there's hope. Maybe God would look upon me with approval. And whatever it was, this guy was so driven, this powerful man walks into a crowd of people. He could get mobbed and killed. He doesn't care. He wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. But being a short man, he couldn't see, and people didn't care that he was a tax collector. You know, you don't have your guards now, but, you know, they kick him away or something. And he projects where he's, Jesus is going to go, climbs up a sycamore tree. Can you imagine a grown man climbing a tree, hanging down like this and looking? I don't think so. So he's looking up, and Zacchaeus has this deep hunger. Do I just know that God cares about me? So Jesus walks by, and he gets there. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and saw him and said, three things I want to point out. Zacchaeus, stop right there. How does, does Zacchaeus wearing his name tag? You know, the, the CPC alum name tag that we make, you know? Oh, there's your name, Zacchaeus. Hello, my name is Zacchaeus. Jesus knew him. Jesus never met the man, obviously, because Zacchaeus is chasing after him. And Jesus knew his name. What does that show us? Jesus doesn't only know his name. Jesus knows all about him. Zacchaeus. Come down immediately. Second thing he says, come down. Zacchaeus, I came to you. I recognize you. Come down. Let's be together. Third thing, I must stay. Now, we don't see it in NIV, but it's a desperate, emphatic urgency. I must stay with you today. What is Jesus saying? I know you. Come together, 
and let's have a relationship. When you eat together, isn't that very intimate? So Jesus calls out to him, and Zacchaeus comes down at once, welcomed him with gladly. Now, can you note something here? Jesus doesn't start preaching to Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, I have a wonderful plan for your life. There's an Old Testament. Jesus doesn't preach. What does he start doing? He just simply says, name, come, let's eat. Jesus is good at that. Remember the Samaritan woman? She had five husbands, and the man she's living with is not her husband. And he encounters her, and what does Jesus say? First thing he says, Evangelism 101. Can I have a cup of water? Can you do that? I could do that. I was like, Jesus, that, that's pretty cool. I could just simply say, hi, <laughs> can I have a cup of water? He does it so naturally, just simply saying, Zacchaeus, I see you. You're human. You matter. And God is saying to Zacchaeus, you matter. So he goes, and then verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. What does love do? Jesus doesn't care what you think about him when he is doing it out of love. You know, Luke chapter 7, do you know Jesus got called nasty names? Luke chapter 7, verse 34, do you know what Jesus was called? They called him a drunkard. Why would you call Jesus a drunkard? Because he hung out with drunkards. They called him a glutton. Why? Because he hung out with rich people who ate all the time, who were sinners. And they called him, this is, check this out, what an insult. Jesus, a friend of sinners. Why? Because Jesus showed love by crossing boundaries. He didn't stay in his comfort zone. He doesn't care what you think about him, what I think about him. He just simply sees people and says, love. Can I tell you, church, something? The greatest insult we could ever get, I really think, is Jason Coe, friend of sinner. And I'll say, ooh, sticks and stones could break my bones. That's what Jesus did. Love doesn't say, come to church and we'll change you. Love says, we are the church. Let's go out to where they are and let them know they matter. Amen? That's the church. It's no longer sinners come to church and we'll transform you. How self-righteous is that, by the way? As if this church is like a car wash and it'll just wash it. But what if Jesus is saying, you are the agents of love. You go to your work, your library, your supermarket, your clubs, your game meetings, and you show the love of Jesus Christ to the very people like Zacchaeus who will not step inside a church, but you say to them, you still matter. Can I just share with you something? It just happened last night. Someone that I know on Facebook wrote, I am joining AA. I hope you can support me. And it's a brother that I love. And I wrote, as a pastor, I was, you know, you would think maybe the old school thing is, you know, clean up yourself or whatever. And all I, all I wrote was simply, with love, I just said, I will always support you, and I'm proud of you. And he gave me a like. That made me feel good. 
And I realized the church is not come to church and get your act straight, but the church is we are Christ's ambassadors. We go out to them and say, where you are, I'll get my hands dirty and let's do this together. And something about that transforms people because what does Zacchaeus do? He stands up and says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What do we see there? Transformation and new life. How do we know? There was repentance and trust in Jesus. How do we know? We don't see it in the Bible because there's evidence, the fruit of a transformed life, turning away from his old life. The love of Jesus opens that up. And this is what Jesus says. Today's salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Verse 10. For the son of man came to make religious people, make us good. All of us. What does he say? For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's you and I, my friends. That's not them. That's us. And he's calling us to continue to do the work that he started. You know, there's something about Jesus' love that transforms. And let me share with you a better preacher named Martin Luther King Jr. You might have heard of him. He preached this in 1957 about the power of love and the transformative power. And he preached this in a Dexter Avenue Baptist church. This is what he said. Now, there is a final reason I think Jesus says love your enemies. It is this. That love has within it a redemptive power. And there is a power that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and to transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, you will discover that at the very root of love is the power of redemption. You just keep loving people and keep loving them even though they're mistreating you. Here's a person who is a neighbor, and this person is doing something wrong to you and all of that. Just keep being friendly to that person. Keep loving them. Don't do anything to embarrass them. Just keep loving them, and they can't stand it too long. It's great. Brilliant. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with bitterness because they're mad because you love them like that. They react with guilt feelings, and sometimes they'll hate you a little more at that transition point. But just keep loving them. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love, you see. It is redemptive. And this is why Jesus says, love. There's something about love that builds us up and is creative. There's something about hate that tears down and is destructive. So, love your enemies. The power of love is that it redeems. You can certainly hate but it leads to destruction. So when Zacchaeus evidenced Jesus' love and the Savior who can save him from being lost from God, transformation and redemption happened. That's the only way. On the side, I've never brought someone to Jesus Christ in faith by debating them. I've never, done, I've never seen that. But what I have seen in just overwhelming love, people's hearts open up to say, I don't agree with what you believe in, but I'm a little more open to it. And God transforms, and he will take their heart. 
I want to show you a clip of an atheist. His name is Penn Jillette. Do you guys know Penn and Teller? Penn Jillette is a devout atheist. But he had this experience with a Christian who didn't condemn him, judge him, and scorn him. At the end of the video, it's not one of those, and Penn became a Christian. No. But when he talks, you tell me if that Christian's authentic, genuine love for him, not debate, not dialogue, not trying to convince, but just his love, you tell me if that love made any impact or no impact. Let's take a look. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff, no reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of. Uh, proselytizing and then he said I'm a businessman I'm I'm sane I'm not crazy and he looked me right in the eye and did all of this and uh, it was really wonderful I believe he knew that I was an atheist But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, 
and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave you that book. That's all I wanted to say. That's a loaded video. All he's saying is, the guy didn't judge me. The guy didn't say, why are you an atheist? He was simply just genuinely loving. He hasn't said, okay, I'll believe, but there is an impact made. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples. And the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and the way we do that is not come to church, but is to live out our faith in love for all people. And what he said that struck me, and this is part of a whole different theme, is how much do you have to hate somebody if you believe there's a heaven and hell and Jesus is the way to not share that? And that's coming from an atheist. And one of the biggest reasons why atheists don't believe what we believe is this. If you genuinely believe that there is good news and you, I don't see you sharing it, convicted of it, you want me to believe that so I could be lukewarm in my belief as well? That's a huge call to the church. That's a whole separate thing. But the point that I think the video kind of captured was Penn was genuinely struck by the love of somebody. That it opens the heart and God plants and continues to do it. See, the mark of a church, can you imagine what would it look like if we lived the love of Jesus Christ wherever we are? Not pointing fingers, not debating, but just simply by your actions to show that people around us, you matter to God, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are. And you could laugh at me, you could insult me, but there's something that I'm going to do to you. I'm going to keep on loving you. And I wonder, what would it look like if the people saw a church and said, that church knows how to love. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, I gotta confess, starting with me at least right away, that this is so much easier to preach than to live, and I acknowledge that. So all of us together, Lord, as we look at Jesus, not only in the model and the way he did it with Zacchaeus, but in the perfect exhibition of love when he died on the cross while we were still his enemies. God, may that fuel us to be people, not about, simply about rules, simply about where we go on Sundays, but may there be a transformation inside out of your love flowing through us. May we see the people around us and not see them as categories of people that we kind of lump them in, but may we see them as the very people that you died for as you died for us as well while we were sinners. And God, may that love be powerful, 
be transformative, and may through that love your good news spread. And may you seek and save the lost using your church. Lord, this is our prayer. May that be our mark. And may you be glorified in our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.